Well, tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's the day that we have set aside to remember the men and women who have lost their lives serving in the United States military. There are a number of memorials all across the United States, all across the world that, that help us remember people and help us remember events, things that have happened. For instance, there is the um, Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., Inside the Lincoln Memorial is a statue of Abraham Lincoln. He is seated. He is facing the Capitol in Washington. And on the memorial is inscribed the Gettysburg Address, that famous address that that Abraham Lincoln gave. And then next we have the Washington Monument in honor of George Washington, our first president. It's 555 feet tall. By law, it is the tallest structure in Washington, D.C., And then we have the cemetery at Normandy. This cemetery is to remember all of the servicemen who lost their lives in Europe during World War II. It's built on a bluff overlooking Omaha Beach, which is one of the landing points of the D-Day invasion. And then we have the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And and on this memorial are 58,000 names the names of all the servicemen who were either killed or missing in action in the Vietnam War. And then finally, we have the 9-11 Memorial. And and before the terrorist attack on 9-11-2001, the the World Trade Center stood here, those two towers. And and you know, because of the terrorist attack, they came down. And and now we have this memorial that is remembering the 3,000-plus people who lost their lives during those bombings. But today I want us to focus on another memorial that the Bible talks about. A memorial that if we understand the significance of this memorial, it will help us live the life that Christ wants us to live. This memorial was built when the people of God, the children of Israel, were crossing over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Joshua chapter 4. And before we dive into what I want us to look at into chapter 4, I want to give you a little background so that you can better understand this passage. God's people were camped on the, the bank of the Jordan River. On the other side of the river is the promised land. The promised land is this land that, that God had promised to their ancestors centuries and centuries before. This is the land that their parents would dream about as they they were living in slavery in Egypt. And this is the land that they thought about as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You've been wandering for 40 years. Now, all that's between you and this land of promise is the Jordan River. But it seems impossible for you to get across. Now, normally, crossing the Jordan River wouldn't be that difficult. But the Bible says that it was flood stage. And so the Jordan River was over a mile wide, and the current was flowing downstream. You couldn't swim across. You couldn't ford across because it was too wide, and the current was too strong. You couldn't build enough boats because you had well over a million people to get across. It seemed like an impossible task. To get across. But what you need to understand is is what seems impossible for man is always possible for God. Nothing 
is impossible for God. And so God spoke to the people and he told the priest to go and stand in the water. And so the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant go and stand in the water of the Jordan River as the river is flowing downstream. When they did, when they took that step of faith, God stopped the flow of river. But he stopped it 20 miles upstream. Now there are two things you need to understand about this. One, God didn't stop the flow of the river until they had the faith to get in. If we're going to ever see God move in miraculous, supernatural ways, we have to take a step of faith in advance. The second thing you need to understand is the flow of the river stopped 20 miles upstream. And so even though they took this step of faith and they stepped in the river, it wasn't until later that they saw the results of their faith. You see, some of us have this idea that if we're going to take a step of faith, God's going to move immediately, and he's going to do what we think he's going to do. But understand, it's not always that way, is it? There are times that God is in the process of working, God is moving, God is answering our prayer, but it may take a while for us to see God do what God's going to do. So the people of God step into the river, the the water stops flowing, the priests go and they stand in the middle of the Jordan River on dry ground and all of the people of God cross over the Jordan River to the other side. But what I want us to focus on occurs after they get across. It's found in chapter 4. So I want you to listen to what it says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 strongs from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing from the ark of the Lord's, when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one from each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. Now, go on down to verse 19 and listen to what it says. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry 
until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River and they built a memorial with these 12 stones. Similar to what we have here, except I'm sure the stones were much bigger and the memorial was much more impressive than our little memorial right here. But they not only built the memorial where they camped that night, the Bible says that Joshua went back into the river before the water started coming back down He took 12 stones, and he built a memorial right in the middle of the river. And when the water came and covered it up, that memorial was still standing. And the Bible says that it is standing to this day. They took the stones from the deepest, the most dangerous part of the river, and they built this memorial. So that the people of God would remember how the power of God rescued them that day. As they saw the memorial, they would remember who God was and what God had done for them. Now, unfortunately, they forgot the meaning of the memorial. Or either their parents did not tell them about the memorial. Because in Psalm chapter 78, verses 10 through 12, it says they did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by his instructions. They forgot, listen to that, they forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors. Then I want you to know that I am convinced that when we, as the people of God, We who are followers of the Lord Jesus, we who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, when we fall into sin, when we lose the joy of our salvation, it is because things that have happened in our past, we have forgotten. We're no longer remembering those things. And so if we want to stay true to our Lord, If we want to maintain the joy of our salvation, then there are some things that you and I need to remember. I think that there are at least three things that each and every one of us need to remember. First of all, we need to remember the day of our salvation. If we are a Christian, if we are a child of God... We need to remember the day of our salvation. Now, some of you may be saying today, well, I don't remember when I was saved. And can I say to you that that is a problem? It really is. If you can't remember the day that you were saved, then something may be wrong with your salvation experience. Because the Bible says that when we are saved, the Spirit of God comes to live in our life. The Bible says that God Almighty comes to rule and reign in us. You can remember Sabrina's testimony last week, how she shared how she gave her life to Christ at FCA at Clemson University. She remembers when that happened. 
You, you heard the testimony of Nadine this morning, how Nadine says she was convicted of her sin. She knew that the way she was living was not the way that God wanted her to live, that God had something better for her life. But it was not until she was in church that she surrendered her life to Jesus, and Jesus changed her life. You see, there may be things in your life that are preparing you for that moment of decision. But for each and every one of us who are saved, each and every one of us who call ourselves Christians, there is a moment of conversion. And so each and every one of us have a story to tell. We have our life before Christ, what that looked like. We have the moment we received Christ, how, how it happened. And then we have our life after Christ, the difference that he is making in our life. For me, I vividly remember that moment. I was only eight years old, but it is a moment that is forever etched in my mind. I was sitting at the very back of the old sanctuary at Lakeview Baptist Church in Hartsville, South Carolina. I can't remember what my dad was preaching on. But what I do remember is for the very first time in my life, I was convicted of my sin. I knew I needed a Savior. And I knew apart from Jesus coming into my life, I would never go to heaven. And when the invitation was given that morning, I went forward. And I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but I do know that that day, my life was changed. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to pray. I, I wanted my life to honor him. Now, that doesn't mean that from that point on, I never messed up. It doesn't mean that I didn't have some downs in the, in the middle of up times. I did. There were times that I would run from God. and There were times I would distance myself from God. But at that moment of eight years of age, he changed my life. And it's forever etched in my mind for my wife. I believe it occurred when she was seven years old. She was in church on a Sunday morning and God touched her heart. And, and so she went and talked to my dad, and, who was the pastor. And he made an appointment to talk with her later that afternoon on a Sunday morning. And her dad brought her to my dad's office. My dad shared the gospel with her. And that Sunday afternoon, she gave her heart and life to Jesus. Her story looks different than my story. But the moment she was saved is forever etched in her mind because it was a life-changing experience. I mean, she never did anything horribly wrong. She went to church every Sunday. She grew up going to church. But Jesus changed her life. It doesn't matter whether you're in church every Sunday or whether you're out living like the world. When you encounter Jesus and he saves you, he changes you. And so you need to be able to share your story with other people. You need to remember that. And so let me encourage you, if you haven't already done this, to go home this afternoon and think about what your life was like before Christ. Think about that moment that you came to know Christ. Where were you? 
How did it happen? Who was it that led you to Jesus? And then, and then think about how Jesus is making a difference in your life. And then after you do that, why don't you let us know about it? Email us. Send us a copy of it. We would love to know your story if you haven't already turned it in. And so every one of us need to have a memorial stone built where we remember the day of our salvation and we never forget it. I believe there are some other things that we need to remember. We need to remember truths that we've learned from God's Word. If God's Word is God's Word, and it is God's Word, then we need to know what it says. Would you agree with that? The Bible says that when we hide God's Word in our heart, it will keep us from sin. There are three things that each and every one of us need to do with God's Word. We need to read it daily. We need to reflect on it, and we need to remember it. We need to read it. We need to reflect on it. Think about what it says, and then we need to remember it. We need to get it settled into our mind. I want you to know that if this is God's Word, the Bible, then you need to learn as much of it as you can for memory. And you need to apply it to your life. But there's a third thing I think that we need to remember that can help us, and that is the lessons that we learn throughout life. I think each and every one of us would would acknowledge that as we've walked through life, there are some lessons that we have learned. Would you agree? Someone once said that if you don't learn from your past, you're bound to repeat it. You agree with that? Man, I do. And so there are things you learn, and as you learn these things, you pass them on. Like, for instance, I've learned that my parents were right about most things. Not everything. I can go back, and there are a few things that I look back and go, they were wrong on that one. But most things my parents were right on. And so if you're here and you still live with your parents, understand you may think they don't know a thing. They know a lot of things. And most of the things they're telling you, they're telling you because they love you, they care for you, and they want what's best for you. And so just know your parents are right about most things. Another thing I've learned in life is there's no such thing as a free lunch. Salvation is free, but it costs Jesus everything, amen? There is no such thing as a free lunch. And so if somebody offers you a deal that sounds too good to be true, guess what? It's too good to be true. So just, just know that. It, that's right. That's just a fact of life. Another thing that I've learned in life is this. An unguarded life is a dangerous life. You say, what do you mean by that, Rocky? Well, when I'm talking about a guarded life, I'm talking about a life that has accountability in it. When you have a life where you have no accountability in your life, you are at a dangerous place in life. Another lesson I've learned in life is this. Live to please God. Peer pressure, more often than not, is going to lead you down a road you don't want to go down. And so don't live your life to please other people. Live your life to please God. One final thing, and I could give you lessons I've learned in life for a long, long time, but this is an important life lesson. If you don't set your priorities, somebody else will. Did you hear me? If you don't set the priorities of your life, somebody else will set them for you. You're going to be a slave to the email, a slave to a text, a slave to the phone call, a slave to whatever. 
And it's your responsibility to set the priorities of your life and then follow those priorities. And so understand, there are things that you and I need to remember in life. They're vital if we're going to live a successful life. And so they built this memorial. And this memorial was to remind them of who God was and what God had done for them. But then God told them something. God told them that this memorial was to accomplish three things in their life. First of all, it was to cause them to look inward and to fear God. Second, it was to cause them to look downward to the responsibility of their children in the next generation and teach them. And then third, it was to cause them to look outward to the world and realize that the world needs to understand that the God that you serve is the one true God. And so let me ask you three questions real quick and and then we're going to close. First of all, are you fearing God? Because the stones that you erect in your life as memory stones should cause you to fear God. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't think we really need to fear God. But what you need to understand is over and over throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told to fear God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're to be terrified of Him? Or does it simply mean that we are to respect Him and honor Him? Well, I I don't believe it means either. I believe it means both. You see, to fear God is to realize that he is the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and one day we will stand before him. It's to understand that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's to understand that, that he is the God who destroyed the world through a flood He is the God who rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness, because of their rebellion. And yet, he is the God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die in our place. He is so holy that the angels are in awe of him. And yet, he invites us into his throne room to tell him our every need. Should we be afraid of him? In a sense, yes, we should be afraid of him. But should we trust him? Without question, we should trust him. You see, the fear of God causes us to desire to live a holy life, and yet it allows us to trust solely in his grace. The fear of God for the lost will one day result in holy terror. But I believe the fear of God for those of us who know him will result in a desire to surrender our lives completely and worship him. And so we need to build remembrances in our life that cause us to fear God. Second, we need to build remembrances in our life that cause us to teach our children the things of God, the ways of God. You see, just because I have faith doesn't guarantee that my children are going to have faith. My brother said it like this. He said, your kids will never prioritize what you marginalize. Did you get that? 
Your kids will never prioritize what you marginalize. Unfortunately, the people of God, the Israelites, didn't understand this. One generation removed from what God did in crossing the Jordan, they turned from God. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, After that generation died, the generation that crossed the Jordan, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. How did that happen? Can I tell you how it happened? The parents didn't teach their children, and the parents didn't show their children. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but can I tell you, when I was growing up, I wasn't given an option on whether I was going to church. I went to church. As long as I was living in my parents' house, I was in church. It's crazy. You know, kids get to teenage years today, and parents go, well, you can come if you want to. Well, you can also pay your own bills. I mean, let me ask you a question, parents. Listen. Do you give your kids the option of whether they're going to bathe or not? No. You go, you stink. Get a bath. Do you give your kids the option of whether they're going to brush their teeth? No. You go, your breath smells like a sewer. Your teeth are turning brown. Brush your teeth. You don't give your kids the option on spiritual things. Some of you are going to say, well, if you force them, they won't appreciate the things of God. I'm telling you, I was forced to go to church, but I appreciate the things of God. And I am thankful to this day that my parents made me go to church. I want you to listen. It troubles me. It concerns me that we are living in a day and age where the people of God are more concerned about their kids being involved in competitive sports and dance and cheer and all of these other things than they are in growing up to passionately love Jesus. When you marginalize something, don't expect your kids to prioritize it. And when you think that it is okay for your kids to miss eight Sundays in a row to play baseball or volleyball or God knows whatever else, and then you don't make them come to church or student ministry or children's ministry, let me tell you, your child isn't going to grow up loving Jesus. They're going to grow up breaking your heart. And one day when Jesus comes back, they're not going to even know him. Or either they're going to be ashamed when they see him. This is a big deal. And I want you to know, parents, that something's happening in our world today. I'm not a prophet. I don't pretend to know the future. But I am discerning enough to know that the times are unusual that we're living in. Things are changing. And as you read the scripture, it is apparent that the day of our Lord's appearing is closer than it's ever been. And it's going to be sad when he comes. And some of our children aren't there because we did not train them. We did not teach them. We did not show them the things that are important to us and help them remember those things. You see, we need to fear God. We need to teach our children. 
And we need to reach out to the world. The Bible says that these stones were to show the nations that their God was the powerful God. What you need to understand is God never saves just so that we can have a relationship. God saves so that we can share that relationship with the world. Remember Abraham? Remember his call? In Genesis chapter 12, God said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. God's call on your life is always so that you can share it with other people. And each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we have an obligation to always look inward and ask, am I fearing God? We always have this obligation to look down and our children and, and other people's children and ask, am I helping raise the next generation? We need to look out to the world and ask our, myself and, and ourselves, am I helping to reach the world? But I want you to notice something. They didn't just build one memorial that was on land so that they could see it. They built a memorial that was under the water. Why? I mean, why did they build a memorial that was going to be covered up by the water? Have you ever thought about that? Some people say that, that Joshua built that memorial as a personal memorial to remember what God had done in his life. And that may be true, but I don't think that's why God led them to build that memorial. You see, what I've discovered in my life is, is that Sometimes it's easy to follow God when things are going great. When the blessings of God are falling upon us and the hand of God is just moving in our life, man, it's easy to just stick with it and honor the Lord and serve the Lord. But what about when it gets tough? What about when the difficulties of life come? What about when the droughts come? You see, the people of God were were agricultural people. They relied on the land to live. If they didn't have water to water their crops with the river or the rains didn't come, they would starve to death. This was a big deal. But Israel was in a desert area. So what happened when the droughts came? What happened when, when the crops didn't grow? What happened when it looked like you were going to die? I want you to imagine the Jordan River's coming through the land. You're in the middle of a drought. Seems like God is far away. The waters of the Jordan are getting lower and lower and lower. And you're wondering, how are we going to survive? But then all of a sudden, one day, there in the middle of the Jordan, you begin to see these rocks pop out from the water that's going down. And you remember that the God who stopped the river from flowing, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who did all the miracles for you in the past is the same God you serve today. And though you may not be able to see his hand today, he hasn't changed and he has the power to be with you, to walk with you, to meet your needs. I believe the reason that that memorial was built in the Jordan is to show them when the times get tough, God doesn't change. 
you can still depend on him. So where are you at? I'm talking primarily to those of us who know Jesus. Where are you? Are you living your life in a way that shows that you fear God? I mean, there's this sense of fear. Not just respect. There's this sense of fear. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God. You don't take him for granted. But there's also this, this sense of awe oh, where you know that he loves you and that he cares for you. And he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. What are you doing with your kids? Are you showing your children that serving God is more important than anything else? What are you doing to reach the world? Are you reaching out to your neighbors during this coronavirus thing? Are you living with this confident assurance that your God is in control? Or are you living in a state of fear? We always live our life looking in, looking down, looking out. So this morning, ask yourself how you're doing. I want you to bow your head. I want us to pray. As you bow your head and pray, I want you to look at those three areas. And see which of those three areas you need to focus on this morning. Father God, I pray right now that anyone who has heard my voice who doesn't know you will be drawn to you this morning. I pray, Father, that they will humble themselves and turn from sin and trust you. But, Father, I also pray for those of us who know you. Father, I pray that we will honor you with our life. We will live with a holy fear of you. A fear that causes us to live our life surrendered and worshiping. Father God, I pray that we will take our responsibility to our children and the next generation seriously. And we will understand there is nothing more important than serving you. Father, turn our eyes toward the world. And help us to have a heart for those who don't know you. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.